0: Hi, I'm Mercedes Chacon Vance, a senior partner at Wikifer, and I'd like to welcome you and our panelists to today's podcast Hiring Development Teams and Working Remotely in the COVID 19 Era. I'll be moderating this discussion with my colleague, Greg Dyke, a principal at Wikifer, and in a couple of minutes, I'll introduce you to our two panelists. First, I wanna tell you how this podcast came to be. Over the summer, Greg and I led two webinars for advancement professionals, focused on navigating your advancement career and managing your advancement teams during the COVID-19 era. We asked attendees for their questions beforehand and during the webinars about the topics. The response was overwhelming. It was clear to us that there is a big appetite for information on best practices and personal experiences related to managing higher education advancement shops in the middle of a pandemic. We reviewed the questions, we picked the topic you were interested in as a profession. We selected the best questions related to the topic, added a couple of our own, and then went out to find two great professionals to discuss them with. Both of our panelists are outstanding advancement executives with great insights to share. Let me introduce our panelists. First, we've got Kelly Kerner. Uh, Kelly is currently at the University of Georgia and he is the Vice President for Development and Alumni, Vice President, Kelly joined the University of Georgia in July of 2014 as their Vice President for Development and Alumni Relations. In his role as Vice President, Kelly is responsible for managing the university's advancement programs, which includes fundraising, alumni relations, financial and fundraising support services, donor relations and stewardship, special events and career counseling. Before joining UGA, Kelly spent more than two decades in higher education development at Bowdoin College, Bates College, Middlebury College, and at the University of Portland. He holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Colorado Boulder. Kathy Dantley Warren is the vice president for development and alumni relations at Rice University. Prior to her promotion in July of 2019, she was associate vice president for development at Rice. In this role, she was responsible for the day-to-day operations of individual fundraising programs, and also oversaw various departments within the the Department of Alumni Relations Division. Before going to Houston, Kathy was at Duke University's Duke Cancer Institute as their Senior Executive Director of Development, and before that, she was the Assistant Dean for Alumni Affairs and Development at Cornell University's College of Engineering. Kathy earned a Master's in Cell and Molecular Biology and Microbiology from Duke, and a bachelor's in biology from Hampton University. We're excited to have both of you here and thanks again for joining us. Let's get started. So we wanna start today's conversation around a few topics. Uh, One in particular is um, working remotely and onboarding new hires remotely. Kathy, I know you've recently hired some new team members. So maybe we'll start with you today uh, and then let Kelly chime in uh, after. So the first question is, um, when you're hiring staff right now, um, what are your worries about doing uh, this remotely? And and thinking about candidates, um, how do they stand out or mitigate these concerns that you might have or they might have navigating this um, and being part of this process, uh, remotely interviewing and remotely onboarding um, in, in the remote world?
1: Thank you. Thank you, Mercedes. And it's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, Yeah, so we have, uh, as like many institutions, we have been under a hiring freeze, but we have had some folks who have been hired and have been onboarded. And we currently are working on a search, as you know, for an assistant uh, vice president. So one of my key senior leadership positions. Um, It's, you know, my biggest concerns are, whether you're recruiting someone uh, in this environment or any other is, you know, how they're going to come in and <clears throat> enhance um, or augment the the current working culture, um, you know, really make connections uh, to and, and build a collaborative work environment uh, with the team members and in particular at a place like Rice, um, which is, you know, it's not a huge institution. There are about 4,000 undergrads, 3,000 grad students. Um, you know, there's seven, uh, colleges uh and school or schools rather and so you know really um this is a smaller community of uh of constituents uh there's a lot of alumni nearby so uh just knowing how people are going to connect uh and integrate into that community um is huge we have traditionally not uh, hired people to positions who have lived outside of houston and then uh, you know, worked for Development Alumni Relations. We do have a few folks who were hired and have, after many years of working with us, have gone on to live remotely. So, just how are they going to connect to the community? So, uh, you know, as in in this environment, just on its base, when we're having the initial conversations, the energy and the engagement that people are able to bring to a Zoom call, which is kind of, you know, you know that's a that's a no brainer, but. I think it's even more critical that when you're communicating with them that you have that sense of ease, you have that sense that people connect uh, you know, in that video environment, that they're, that they're savvy, that they're comfortable. Um, and you know, we have seen many examples of people who just do not know how to communicate in this two-dimensional environment. And so that really you know, gives you so much more pause that they would be successful if that's how they're going to, to uh, come into your organization. I think individuals who've been at organizations who do have people working in various places, and who can, uh, you know, articulately, uh, you know, describe how they've managed, uh, if if you know, they have actually managed those people, or if they have engaged with those people uh, remotely. Individuals from larger shops who've had people, you know, far afield, and how they have uh, communicated with them, and worked with them, and, and can, uh, you know, in a concrete fashion, describe how those relationships have been. Um, you know, managed and how they've executed on things that they've done in that environment. Uh, so those are those are two critical things that make candidates stand out. Um, and, you know, we have hired folks who have started completely remotely. We have not hired anyone who's, where the whole process has been remote thus far in our division, but we are headed towards that path. And so um, this is even more critical. We had... Uh, recently, uh, prior to the start of Everyone Working Remote, we had been looking at and had been revising our onboarding practices. And I was just telling another colleague from another institution today how glad I was that we were kind of, we had done that because when we've onboarded people, we've been able to kind of put them through the same paces um, and give them that, that uh, you know, starting point that even though it's done virtually, they have the similar experience, so that gives me confidence that we bring people in; they'll have a uniformity of experience. Um, and the other thing that we have done, which may be an answer to a future question, but we've also enhanced the, the the virtual ways that we keep our community of folks within our advancement shop connected. And so, you know, using those to help people plug in as well, in addition to the basic onboarding uh, activity, has really. Been helpful to us, so it gives us a sense of confidence that you know we we um, you know we can hire the right people and that we can successfully onboard them. And so the people that we have hired, who again we haven't uh, we we have we have not hired anybody completely remotely, but we have started people completely remotely, and we have gotten some feedback from that first crop of people, uh, and it's been really positive. We've had a lot of those folks tell us that they have felt like they have been integrated effectively into our community and that they, you know, despite the limitations, they feel part of the RICE uh, community and in particular the the advancement division as well.
2: Mercedes, can I ask just a quick follow-up? Yes. If you don't mind. Um, Kathy, you had mentioned, brought into what it sounds like technological, additional technological tools to help folks feel more connected to the community. What specific things did you implement that really helped, that, that helped enhance those connections for, for new folks?
1: Well, more, more than the technical, I mean, we use Zoom, we use Cisco WebEx and the, the, the tools that it uh, provides. And we also, um, we have been using Slack and some of our the departments within our division are more at using Slack. Um, uh, than others, and so that was those were good base, uh, you know, baselines. The but the the WebEx has been particularly helpful. Now you see through the entire community uh, is active on the you know the chat platforms there, and they're communicating and calling and setting up quick ad hoc meetings that way. Um, but the the other things we've done have have only been um, supported by technology. They haven't been like new technology like new technology specifically brought on to do, but just We've been really intentional about internal engagement activities for our team. So um, you know, how we are uh providing social engagement opportunities, how we're doing trainings about certain things, mixing like some things that are training, like training for a database that we just switched to a couple of years ago, mixing those in with like we do some of that over a in a sort of happy hour format, which of course you don't have to bring a uh, you know, the beverage too, but that's sort of like the idea is it's a little bit less formal to so sort of at the end of the workday. Um, we have meditations, we have, uh, um, we have kind of, you know, safe space gatherings. We have book clubs. There's, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of groups that have grown up. There's, you know, folks who are sharing recipes. So these kinds of things and, um, these kind of, um, you know, different communication, um, you know, kind of micro groups um, have grown up to support the larger division and have helped create some little, you know, many aggregates of people that is, have, is substituting now for the natural organic way that people would be communicating if we were face to face. So we've just, again, taken advantage of some of the things that the Zooms and the WebExes and the Slacks do offer to just facilitate those things, but make sure uh, we're intentional that this is about our internal team um, engagement and, uh, you know, we feel like we have enough of those things, but yet not too much so that we provide a little bit of something for everybody to keep people connected.
0: Great. Kelly, do you want to chime in on that?
1: Yeah. I'll try to
3: go quickly just um, Kathy said it so well and and brought up so many great points it's hard to um, hard to uh, uh, emphasize that enough but you know I'll say a couple things one is uh, in the hiring process it's it's really become clear to us that um, we have to do we have to work harder we have to do more preparation we have to understand better who it is that we're going to be interviewing and so um, I think we put in uh, arguably more time on the front end than maybe we ever have because I do think even though some people can be really good at Zoom, uh, sometimes that's a detriment because they may be really good at Zoom but not really good, um, and, and vice versa. Somebody can be terrible on Zoom and yet and yet terrific. So, you know, I think we read a lot of things into that. One is um, how much did they prepare, so we get to understand about their level of preparation and how they think about the interview process and how is that going to translate into their work as a potential member of your community. Uh, It also uh, gives us the opportunity to uh, probe on some things we might not have otherwise. We do a lot more, uh, I would say, background checks that are maybe off book, um, just because it's so hard, I think, to determine who you're really talking to on Zoom. Um, I can tell you from my own personal experience, I've been really good on Zoom at times and I've been really bad on Zoom at times. And and those, those bad times, I'm really glad I've you know, not been in a situation where uh, it would have meant a lot. Um, but what I find is I have to put a ton of energy into my work when I'm doing Zoom calls. And so we're just looking for that. We're looking for what kind of energy are they putting into it and what kind of preparation. Um, the other piece on this is, is the onboarding piece. And we have a very um, deliberate onboarding process. Uh, we call it the five five five, And really, it's a, an intensive program that literally lasts five months. And each of the fives pertains to five days, five weeks, five months. Um, and trying to do that virtually is, is a challenge. Uh, but I would say, again, we're working harder than we've ever worked to try to present Um, that new employee to our family, to our environment, to our culture, in a way that they can get a sense for what it's really all about. And then the final thing I say is that one of the advantages of of this technological boom that we're all riding on right now is our ability to um, put meetings together that we weren't putting together easily before. So if a new employee starts here, and it might've taken me three weeks to get in front of them one-on-one, now I might be in front of them on day three. Um, it just has provided this opportunity to more easily intersect with people. And and we've been doing that in, in a lot of different ways. And we've brought trustees into the conversations through that um, process. And um, we've used video extensively like everybody has. We're not, I know we're not unique in this. Um, I've done, uh, gosh, I wouldn't even be able to account at this point, but literally dozens and dozens of thank you videos that I've done to communicate with the team and just say, this is what I've heard recently. I'm not getting to see you frequently. I'm not getting to see you in person, but here's what I heard in this meeting the other day, and this is what I think it means. And so I've done literally dozens of those. And I think, again, Mm -hmm. I never would have done that before, but it's so easy to do that and then deliver it across a really broad spectrum of people. So positives from that standpoint but the negatives from my perspective I just don't think you can replace the in-person conversations.
0: Do you think that your uh the morale of your teams um how has the remote connections uh how is that affecting your teams morale do you, are you seeing you know Kathy you're talking about almost well-being? um, and, 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 and health. Um, do you feel like you've put that in because you've seen a morale issue? Um, where are you? That's a huge topic right now with regards to the remote learners. Where are you guys seeing that with your team?
1: Well, so we, those things were existed, um, and we were actually trying to make them more, um, intentional before they were a little, they were, they were a little, uh, too, kind of like the fund committee had had taken charge of of things. And we we want people to be socially supported, but at the same time, you know, it needs to be, um, you know, is still a professional environment. So we had been working to be more deliberate and thoughtful about, you know, again, en- engagement within uh, just like in an advancement organization, you don't want we're not just throwing parties, right? We're thinking about how we're engaging people so that they can stay connected and, and have a you know vital experience. And so that's how we were already rethinking some of those activities. So that was timely as well. Um, but yes, now those are um, you know helping with general health and, and wellness of the community in this um, challenging time. But we're also doing, um, we also are continuing with larger organizational culture building um, and professional development opportunities for the entire team too. Uh, and kind of those we had, we were in a little limbo about cause we weren't sure how long we're we gonna be remote, you know, things we would normally do in person. We don't just wanna do remote if we're going to get to do them in person soon. Now that we've all been living this way for nine months, we've, we've just taken a turn and we are looking at, you know how will our next round of, um, you know, f- uh, of a full division, you know, set of trainings, a full division set of, um, you know, of, of our, our retreats and our, our day long, uh, you know, working meetings. How are we going to do those remotely? Um, so, yes, yeah, some of it is about um, some of it is about uh, the, the wellness, but a lot of it is about we've got to continue to advance in this environment, and this is now the constraint that we're under. So, um, in addition to supporting the wellness, we're going to really look at transforming how we do. The organizational development, um, you know, culture building things that we do, you know, team building, um, you know, team advancement things that we do, and and just doing them um, in a in a virtual capacity. So um, so there's there's both things that are going on there.
3: Yeah, I think I think the morale piece is, is real. Um, I mean, I think if you look around the world, um, everybody's tired of Zoom. Everybody's tired of wearing a mask. Everybody's tired of socially distancing we are we're human beings who appreciate uh interaction with other human beings and uh it's something that we you know i I don't know i think probably we all recognized pretty quickly how difficult this environment was going to be and so we we did um we have done a lot of things where we've we've tried to make it light at times when it felt like it was pretty heavy Uh, we, we put together a, a, a giant Spotify um, playlist that we, we ask people to submit their favorite song that they put on when they really want to get hyped up or they want to be happy. Um, so we've got this like 250, 300 song playlist that we created. That's our COVID, I think we called it our COVID spring playlist or something like that. Um, we've done things like that, podcasts, we've shared podcasts. We've used um, Kathy, I think you said you guys are using Webex. We've been using Microsoft Teams a lot the same way um, with all kinds of different chat strings. And some of them are about just personal stuff and some of them are professional development and some of them are just plain old work. Uh, and that's been a great platform to kind of keep us all together. And as you know, you can use video on there quickly and easily. So we've we've recognized that that we're in a new world. and. While I do believe we're going to come out of it, and we are going to go back to an almost entirely in-person world, we're recognizing that that much of what we're doing now we will continue to do in some way, shape, or form, even after the the shackles are us, taken taken off, off of us on this on this uh, virus. So um, we just got to uh, keep persevering with our team, and and we we make a point of that frequently with in our meetings Um, we remind people that we have to pay attention to each other and we you know if we see somebody you know dragging what can we do to help them and and let's share that information so that other people understand and and can be part of uplifting those folks Um, but it's a it's a balance and it's 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 like kathy said you still got to be a professional organization and and be effective and get things done Um, but We've got this extra piece of um, the world's not normal, and we have to try to keep it as normal as possible in this in our environment.
0: Great, thanks. That that, that was that, that was that, that was really good dialogue ar- around some really important um, issues about you know remote uh, working and remote onboarding that I think um, people are really wondering how leaders are navigating. Um, so thank you. Greg, I'll pass it on to you for the next question.
2: Thanks, Mercedes, I appreciate it. First of all, I wanted to uh, thank both of you for joining us uh, personally. It's uh, It means a lot, clearly you're busy and you've got things going on 24 seven these days. So it's really wonderful that you're able to take this time and talk with us about some important issues. Uh, being the former, the recovering fundraiser that I am, I'm gonna dig in a little more into the details around fundraising in general and, and managing fundraisers. So my question is, uh, do you think academic institutions and, and, and more specifically, are you uh, in your shops? Uh, do you think they'll be more flexible had you been more flexible in allowing principal and major gift officers to work uh, quasi remotely post COVID? I mean, obviously you have to with the, you have to now, but you think you will be more flexible after we have a vaccine and we go back to how things were before? And if so, how will you, how will institutions in general uh, manage them, support them and hold them accountable while working remotely? Kelly, you want to kick it off this time? Sure. Um, it, just
3: coincidentally, uh, before uh, COVID hit, we had uh, moved into a new space uh, and uh, the space was limited in some some way, shape, and form. Uh, it was a much better space for us, but it had limited uh, um, locations for people to sit. And we had begun a trial of seeing if we could have our uh, traveling fundraisers work primarily remotely. And that started about, oh gosh, uh, almost a year before COVID started. But we, re- we felt it was a trial and we were gonna just kind of see how it went, see if we were still having the same productivity, see what the, the atmosphere was with the team. And we were getting to an inflection point where we we're gonna have to make a decision on that. Well, moving into this space helped us decide. Um, and we just we decided that we'd seen enough that was positive uh, so, we were going to continue with it. The space wouldn't allow us to have all of these fundraisers sitting here. So, we and, and the, the premise is obviously, if you're a fundraiser, you need to be out on the road, you need to be out seeing people. So, um, we went to the hoteling uh, concept with, uh, with our workstations here, and uh, it, it seemed to be working really well. Well, now we go into COVID, and it's you know times 10 with that because now you know virtually nobody was around. Um, I think we'll continue with it to a certain extent. I think that the that our regional fundraisers who are the ones who who travel the most, I think they will um, have access to a place here in our in our space, but they won't own it. Um, you know, there will be an expectation that they're here on campus, you know, one day a week or uh, when there's a team meeting, but the expectation won't be for them to be sitting at a desk with a nameplate on it and we should see them there every day because that's just not their job description. So I think it's opened our eyes a little bit to our ability as an overall organization to do telework. But I've told my team recently that um, even though it doesn't feel like it's in the near future, there is a future out there when we will be back in person. And my expectation is that we will all be back here to the extent that our jobs allow and the ones who will be Um, a little bit of a different case are those who are are traveling fundraisers and they'll they'll have a more of a hotel situation. But so we'll have we'll have a a sort of a hybrid situation moving forward. But honestly, I think uh, people are mostly very much looking forward to being back in person and being part of a, a team where you see people on a day to day basis.
1: And it's very similar for us. Actually, we had we had moved to an open concept building where there are very few offices. Uh, about two years ago. <clears throat> uh, we had also just this past year had implemented a, uh, a a policy around flexible work arrangements and we were, you know, offering it um, on a broader level where it made sense or allowing flexibility, uh, supervisors a little bit more flexibility and wham, this happened. So what um, we are, you know, we're recognizing where there's efficiencies gained and where there's where there haven't been, but by and large, it's def- definitely been to the positive. Um, and so as 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 we get past this time of COVID, I think coming back, we will be a, a much more flexible, um, you know, working environment, we will, um, you know, we may or may not now start thinking about, well, are we going to hire people who are actually based remotely, uh, which we, is not something we had ever done before. Um, so I think that that may also uh, inform, you know, a change in that regard. Uh, but yeah, things are are, you know, they're 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 very very different. We're still seeing, as I said, we're still seeing a lot of productivity uh, in the teams, and um, you know, they're they're, you know, they're so looking forward to getting back to being able to really engage and travel in in a quote unquote normal way. But um, they they are really starting to get back to being able to connect with people um, even in a virtual setting um, in a more robust way so uh, you know it's it's um, it, it's it has been very enlightening as to what is you know what is what is possible uh,
2: just a follow-up question did you um, so how what management techniques special management techniques are you both utilizing to support those? remote workers I mean I mean everybody's remote now but more importantly we uh, support those frontline fundraisers and how are you holding them accountable I'm curious Kelly since you'd started this trial beforehand did you have to do anything special did you have to lay out any special you know guardrails or, or you know outside boundaries or parameters for those particular folks in order to feel confident and comfortable and allowing them to remote to work remotely
3: um, I think that I Kathy reminded me of of something that I should have said. We actually had also begun uh, placing fundraisers around the country. So we actually have five folks who are regional fundraisers who live outside of Athens, um, four outside of the state of Georgia. Um, And we'd like to do more because the the concept has been proven for us over the course of the last couple of years where these folks have been living in LA, San Francisco, Nashville, New York. Um, We feel like we have a really good model. And, and I think what makes it good, uh, we're not unique, but I think what makes it good is that um, there's a real focus put on um, understanding the quality of the work that they're doing and not just getting dazzled by the numbers. And you know, all of us in fundraising have seen the, the fundraisers who can produce the, oh my gosh, look at how many visits that person did or how many contacts that person did. But then if you really drill down, you may not have quite the quality there that you want. And so we put a pretty rigorous process in of just analyzing where they are in any conversation with a prospect and how they're moving through through the pipeline and so forth. And we've got a couple of mid-level managers whose job it is to really uh, make sure and stay focused on that. And we've also teamed them with our uh, prospect management team and researchers. So we really have a team of about three people who are paying attention to each individual fundraiser. Now, they're not not each fundraiser has three, but there's a team of three that pays attention to several fundraisers. And um, that's that's proven to be a, a, a really good way to, to approach it. And you know, we are, I'm sure, like Kathy and like everybody else, we're counting things like substantial phone calls or Zoom calls um, as visits, but it has to be substantiated. Um, and there's got to be detailed notes as to what was accomplished and what the next steps were will be. So, Um, I think we're just looking more closely than ever at the data to make sure that, you know, what, what's happening out there is really what's happening out there. And honestly, it goes back to the very first thing that we discussed, which was hiring. You have to hire the right people. And we've been very fortunate. We've hired fantastic people whose integrity is, is fantastic. And, you know, I feel very comfortable having folks away from campus because I know they're getting the work done.
1: Yeah, I would, I would, you know, similar things in our shop. I mean, we've, we've enhanced our prospect review process and, and tightened it up a bit and made sure there's, there's more people at the table, the research team, the, the, the gift planning team, uh, you know, they're, they're the, in addition to not just the prospect manager themselves, but the, the very, the supervisor, um, if they work closely with a certain school and their, and prospects there that school based gift officer, uh, so our, so the prospect review activity, um, you know, and uh, just, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing. So we know, as he said, as Kelly said, the quality of the interactions, the fact that moves are really happening. Of course, we also measure substantive moves, not, you know, quote unquote visits. Uh, and we see that there's actually activity towards, uh, towards, you know, really towards a gift, not just the, the hamster wheel activity, just kind of moving around. Um, in a circle um, more we're doing more so that there's more opportunities even outside of that for conversations about strategy uh, you know with with more people um, you know so that so that kind of bouncing ideas off of folks in a time when it's that much more challenging to kind of engage people that there's more people in those kinds of conversations helping to, to think and brainstorm about that. so, you know same 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 deal by enhancing those kinds of those kinds of activities uh, and and like Kelly I'm very fortunate we've I mean, hired some of the staff but there's a very um, conscientious and very trustworthy group of people who are already productive and successful and so fortunately we had that that grounding of of a track record to build on too so you know they want to be productive and so and they're consci- and they're integrity is, is, is high. So we had a really good uh, foundation to build on.
0: So our next question, um, we had people on the uh, webinars ask about kind of financial health. And I think they were wondering, you know, leaders such as yourself, how are you balancing the current financial constraints um, when trying to rein- retain and uh, recognize your highest performers And kind of your future leaders. Uh, And Kathy, you want to start with that one?
1: Sure. Um, You know, my, in addition to being, of course, always fiscally responsible, it was was also my, you know, stance from the outset that, uh, you know, we could not cut off our nose to kind of spite our face. And like almost every, place, you know, we had a, a, we had a budget cut, it was minor, all things considered, uh, and we had a hiring freeze, um, but we still had uh, flexibility, and so we made it clear that in addition to preserving, you know, existing team members where we could, we wanted to continue to, you know, support and reward the team, because, uh, you know, if if this was a typical down financial year economic downtown turn, there'd already be Challenging morale, but in this environment with the compounding of the impacts of the, of the pandemic, we knew it would be even stiffer. And so, to kind of further add insult to injury, um, when we still did have some flexibility, you know, I adopted the, 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 the posture that, you know, that just wasn't prudent. So, um, you know, we did have and have had budget savings. Uh, we also had had you know, a bit of an investment in our team because we are ramping up to start a campaign. So we were, in a, we were in a pretty good financial situation from which to deal with the challenges to start with. So we did not then go back and sort of slash everything. We were doing certain trainings. We've been offering certain professional development. Um, we can't do um, promotions. Um, we can do have do exceptions to hire in certain places, but we can't do promotions. But we do have other ways that we can uh, support and incent people, and we have continued to do that. Um, you know, we, as I said, we've continued to do trainings. We are bringing in uh, people uh, from the outside to work with us on, on certain things from, a, as I said, organizational culture perspective. Um, after, and I out, this is not a minor thing, so I men- I'll mention it here too, but after the events that happen, in may with the murder of george floyd and all of the issues around racial and social injustice we also launched a task force on diversity equity inclusion issues so we've been working with people both inside of rice and we're just about to start working with people externally to uh help the group with those um issues and address uh well and you know um not even address challenges that we had but achieve some things that we believe we can achieve to improve upon our, our efforts um, within our advancement shop. And so all those investments, I think, uh, are they're a net positive. I mean, we have a a team who really feels continually supported. I'm, you know, we've done surveys about how the team's um, you know, morale and productivity is, and we're about to do our annual Gallup survey, which we participated in with a number of other institutions that just opened. There are responses that we get from them are very strong. Uh, they continue to, um, you know, be very, very positive um, where we've seen things that we knew we could work on, um, whether they were no cost or minor cost, we have tried to address those things. Uh, so, and we've done so with a lot of transparency and, um, you know, I think that's been the key too.
3: I, I would uh, just add to that that what when, and I don't know, what your budget situation was, Kathy. And ours, we, we had been going through a campaign and uh, you know, I don't wanna say that we had everything that we wanted but it, it did feel like um, we were at a time in the history of the university and the foundation where um, the resources were being um, delivered in a timely fashion to us so that we could continue to build the team that we needed to have. And when this came along, we had a pretty drastic budget cut. Um, to the extent that um, we were going to have to make some decisions about, you know, people and/or operating budget, and you know, time will tell if this was a if this was the right thing for the university. But I decided that I felt my most valuable commodity was our team, our people, and so we really cut our operating budget significantly. Um, I mean, drastically to the point that. Um, There are a lot of things that we're just we just can't do um, right now. Um, But we're using technology as a way to get around that. So the serendipitousness of that is sort of interesting when I think about it. But we didn't eliminate a single position. Uh, I should say that differently. We didn't eliminate a single filled position. Um, We eliminated 13 right off the top 13 unfilled positions and six others uh, are in a hiring freeze that doesn't look like it's got a, a thaw on it anytime soon. Um, so we're, we're down effectively 20 positions. Um, and that's, that's interesting because it's forced us to really think differently about how we collaborate and how we work across our different um, boundaries. And um, what I've seen is, and the way that we couched it with folks was, look, we're gonna have a different way of operating. We're gonna to have to work differently. We're gonna to have to work even more efficiently than we ever have, but I will not, I will do everything I can to keep from having to have somebody walk out the door. And um, my justification with my president was the long-term cost of that person walking out the door is so much greater than the near-term savings. Um, it's it's hard to even reckon. So, um, I was able to do that i think it's the right thing we'll find out uh, we'll look at fundraising numbers and compare them against the rest of the industry over the next two years um, but we have the team we want we've kept everybody and we've done you know at the expense of the operating budget and i and i think it's going to be the right play but you know who knows we'll, we'll find out everything in this world we're in now seems like it's a a new question every week. Um, but that was the way we approached it. And I, uh, I personally feel really good about the approach. Um, and, but we'll have to wait and see what the uh, outcomes are.
1: Kelly, i how big is your team all together?
3: Yeah, I, I have a kind of a weird team, Kathy, because um, I have development alumni relations. Uh, I also have the career center and I have the uh, foundation, uh, which is essentially our financial backbone. Um, so when I put all those together, plus our um, our uh, fundraisers in the schools, colleges, and units, which we have sixty percent or so uh, of the salary of the chief fundraiser in each school, college, and unit, um, we're about two hundred and sixty approximately. Um, so a good, it's good, good-sized team. But honestly, you know, my my long-term goal was to get us more like three fifty. Um, but that's now, <laughs> I don't know when that's going to happen.
0: Kelly, were you on trend to, uh, if, if we hadn't gone into the COVID era, do you, would you have, uh, you think you would have been able to get, uh, to that number or close to that number?
3: We were adding approximately, uh, well, we had big ads early on in the campaign. When I first started at Georgia, we added as many as 10 or 12 positions a year for a number of years, um, But we were on a track to add five to seven new new positions um, each year from a combination of state and private funding. Uh, So it would have taken us a while to get there. Uh, We would have fully staffed. We should have been at about 275. um, If if we had all of those uh, positions that we we uh, had to give up. But uh, I think. uh, If you'd given me another five years, I think we might have gotten there.
2: Kathy, how big is your team at Rice?
1: So we have there are 148 positions, uh, and when the freeze came, I think about 18 of them were frozen. We've we've gotten a, a budget influx, um, and we're in the process of doing a lot of hiring the year from the year prior, uh, and then the the high, the freeze came. I think they're now I think there are about seven that are unfrozen um, or thawed. I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, so there's like 130 people in seats. Um, and then at now these seven open positions currently. Uh, so, you know, we are, you know, we're expecting to get some guidance about additional, um, you know, budget changes. Uh, the, we, we were, we've been very fortunate. The university put in a freeze. We didn't, have to give a significant amount of the budget back this past year, but we are expecting it in the coming year. Um, But given the fact that we had gotten that influx, the investment for the campaign of positions and some operating budget, uh, and given that we had so many open positions, uh, we will be able to weather this a little bit more um, easily but that doesn't mean that those positions that we'd asked for, of course, weren't critical as we were heading into a campaign. So um, we already run as a pretty lean enterprise in term, you know, based on the benchmarking that we've done, we know this. Uh, so we, by no means were we, um, you know, flush with people either. So we know that the decisions we make in the coming months as we enter the, um, you know, the next budget planning cycle are, are going to be, um, you know, very important to maintain that momentum.
2: So building on this conversation, because I think it's a great foundation for, um, for another conversation uh, and kind of referring to Callie's comments about the decisions you're making now and decisions you're both are making now are gonna have long-term implications for the university, for your own teams, for fundraising going forward. Share, I'm curious to know what uh, your goals have been, what goals did you set for this year? Uh, this fiscal year? How different are they from last fiscal year? And are you anticipating uh, a, dec- a decrease in fundraising performance for this fiscal year? I would assume the answer must be yes, but I'm hearing all kinds of different messages from leaders, from advancement leaders around the country. I'd be curious about your experience. Uh,
1: uh,
3: I'll jump in real quick. Um, so we, we were on a, on a on trend last year for about a $225 million year. We ended up at 175 last year. Um, and I, I, we were fairly confident about that 225. So that, I think that was a realistic drop um, in what happened. Um, when we set out for this year, my, my goal was to hit 175. I thought that would be a successful year to duplicate what we did last year. Um, We actually are trending right now, and this is way, way early. So who knows? This this is very foggy crystal ball. Um we're trending about 185 right now. Um, but that's a trend in what month are we? November. Um, talk to me in June. Uh I I I can see a path to 185. I'll be thrilled if we do, but honestly, I'll be thrilled if we hit 175. Um so it's the best we can do with what we what we know, and it's it's really hard to project um, more clearly than that at this point.
1: And we last year our goal was 160, and we were on target for that, and we were on target to be maybe a little bit ahead of our annual fund, which we do about eight million a year. Uh, and then I mean the last quarter was just an, a non-quarter. Um, and so the bottom fell out. So we ended up the year at like 117, I believe. Um, and so, uh, so in terms of this year's goal, our goal is actually, um, is really, it's 160 again, because those conversations, many of them have actually, you know, they, they've, they've picked up again in this, this year. Um, and truthfully, there's been an uptick in plan giving activity um, and some other things that were kind of unexpected, um, and so, you know, that's our, our goal this year is pretty robust, which I was actually a little bit surprised about after we started kind of mapping things out. Now that, that doesn't count the if anyone's aware of the the hundred million dollar gift from the Welch Foundation. So really the goal is is more like two hundred and sixty, but you know I'm sort of telling you that without that goal. So that gift happened in September. Um, so congratulations
2: by the way, it's amazing.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Um, that was really exciting. Um, But it is, it's one of those things, like Kelly said, it's like you look in this crystal ball and it's so surreal because up is down, down is up, people who you think are not going to want to talk about something or talking about things. A lot of our folks at the, with the, you know, the highest capacity are, you know, they've actually fared well. And, and I think in the gift planning realm, it has pushed some people, you know, to think about some things that they hadn't been willing to think about before. So that's, that's also given us a really good start off to this year. So just like Kelly, again, you know, it's November, um, you know, ask me how I feel in March or, or April uh, because, you know, I think the worst part of this pandemic is um, sort of always having that feeling of like, what's the next shoe to drop? um, you know, no matter, no matter what. And we always have a little bit, I guess, in our world, because there's so much that's out of our control, but, um, you know, maybe even more so now, but there's, there's still, there are still a lot of people who are, you know, willing to pick up the phone and have, have some real discussions. Um, and we also have a few things that are kind of like the lead up to our campaign that are happening, getting in the weeds a bit, I know, but a few challenges that, Actually, are kind of spurting some some interest. So um, we have some things going for us like that 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 are helping us despite everything else. So you know, we yeah. if we come back together in, in April May, Kelly and I can tell you just how good we were at forecasting.
2: Yeah. And, and you can show us the scars too, right? How does, how does exactly?
1: Like? We I was going to tell
2: you a quick story that should make you feel better. I was, I was having a conversation recently with one of your peers, Power Five Conference School. Uh, flagship public university in the middle of a campaign, hit their number, You know everything happened, they still hit their number by uh, the end of last fiscal year. Their target, their original target for their goal and are on target this year to even exceed the goal that they had that's keeping them on pace. They're right smack dab in the middle of a, of a multi-billion you know, dollar campaign. So it's a, I think it's out there. And I think, you're, I think, Kathy, you make an excellent point, which is that excitement and that energy around a campaign as you move out of silent phase to public phase might really help to crystallize there. And, you know, you'll be able to capitalize as we are. So many other, so many institutions and businesses across the country are getting capitalized on, hopefully, if if this ends sometime soon, pent-up demand in all kinds of ways. So it could actually be a great year for us. I do have one, I'm you guys will hang on for the rest of the conversation, but I have one very specific follow-up that I had to ask the two of you. In thinking about your goals for this year, sounds like you both kind of Lowered expectations a little bit, realistically, given what happened at the end of last year. How did that roll down into your frontline fundraisers? Did you lower your lower your um, uh, your, your uh, I forgot, what was the terms you used that you used Kelly the no the substantive contacts goal that kind of thing? Did you lower their individual dollar goals? How did you how did that impact individual fundraisers on your team?
3: Well, we we build our goals out maybe. Uh, Maybe everybody does this I don't don't know but we we do something that you know I call a cold light of day assessment. So we ask every fundraiser to go through their prospect pool and and literally give us what do you really think I know you're a fundraiser and you're positive and everything seems great, but what do you really think this person's going to do this year. So we get very, very conservative estimates from people, and then we build our we build our goals based on those conservative estimates. So we don't even put a goal in play until all those conversations that have been had with our fundraisers. Um, that that conversation actually came out to about 175. And we were willing to say, okay, well, let's just call it 175. Um, the weird thing is um, we're tracking 20% behind right now where we were last year, but our projection is higher than what we what we ended up at um so we're what we're trying to figure out is okay if 20 20 behind last year's number and we were going to do 225 where does that put us in real life you know are we are we ahead of the game or are we behind the game and, and and honestly it's a it's a numbers game people are playing all the time with it and my i finally said to folks because they're trying to they want to make this crystal ball so clear and said look we just, we're going through an election that may take weeks to get through. And at the end, we have no idea what's going to happen in the world. So don't kill yourself trying to figure out what little dot and tittle we're going to come to on the total uh, amount that we're going to end up with our uh, projecting. But, but uh, the numbers are just so strange. And it feels to me, we have this incredible pipeline of potential gifts. It feels like they're just waiting. Uh, we've got a lot of people who said, yep, I'm going to do it and just not ready to sign. And it feels like they're waiting and they're waiting for what is that shoe that's going to drop. And um, so, again, Mark they're waiting April for clarity, waiting,
2: right? They're waiting for clarity on a whole host of social and political and, and health issues. I mean, it's just incredible.
3: Right, right. And in, in our situation, uh, you know, the, the institution you mentioned, I can probably guess at which one or one of a couple it is, you know, the difference there for a place like that is they're pipeline was so chock full and they have such a long history of philanthropic support that we haven't had it Georgia um, and, and we've really just begun in the last 10 years to come into that so what they've got is a is a momentum that is is enviable and they've also got a constituency that's enviable um, that I think will continue to go because as Kathy said there are people who are on the very wealthy end who have done really well through this. Um, and, and so they're not slowing up. Um, we just got to find those folks. But but I'm seeing people kind of hold on things for now and hopefully they'll they'll pull the trigger at some point.
1: Yeah. So we are our, our fiscal year is July one to June. We tend to goal set in late July uh, or uh, early August uh, and kind of call it at our first board meeting in September. Um, And we do a, you know, conservative low and an optimistic high, uh, and then kind of come in somewhere in the middle, um, just knowing how gift officers are. (laughs) And, um, you know, this year that number based on, you know, doing things like we always do them was the 160 again, which I was very surprised at Um, and, you know, we had a couple of things that had happened even while we were in the goal setting process that gave us a sense, as I said, like, well, gift planning is up and there's still some strong, you know, conversations in the mix about some larger major gifts. And, um, and so it, it, it's, you know, it, for right now, things seem to be uh, moving along at a, you know, a clip that bears out that you know, we're moving along at the right, uh, at the right pace. And, and, you know, like like Kelly said, the cold light of day, you know, I would really try to take a very realistic approach, um, even, and, and even knowing, of course, that gift officers, they're, they're optimistic, if you ask them, are they a great gift officer, they're worried when you ask them to actually put their goals on paper. So you have to balance that out. But even with that, you know, kind of checking and rechecking assumptions and, trends and um, and I have a new person who's the associate VP who leads all the individual giving areas which was my former job you know she she and I are in the you know we were came to the same conclusion about what you know what that that goal should really be so um, so we're you know we're we're, we've put that on paper we're working towards that that plan and um, you know it's so we're we're at with the, with the $100 million, we're at 153 right now. So, um, and I said, said the total goal is really 260. So it's, um, so we're ahead of where we were on pace last year to make the, the, the 160, um, you know, so it, it's, it seems to be moving in the right way at the right pace. That's, um, good.
2: That's good.
1: You know, so there you go.
2: So you guys, can you hang out with us because Mercedes sure. saved the absolute best question for last. Do you have more t- time to talk with us a little bit longer?
1: Sure, but I guarantee you that my dogs will start barking because it's after five and
0: <laughs> they demand attention. That's really quickly. Attention. With, <laughs> we, you know, we just want to thank you for being really open about that because I yeah. do think that was um, that question about the fiscal year, your goals, um, how, you're, how you are are managing the goals of your fundraisers was, it came from a couple of uh, prominent VPs that uh, are sitting and, and they wanted to know we didn't get to it the last time. So thank you for being open about about that, because, you know, you feel better when you hear that people are kind of the same boat that you are. So so thanks for, you know, getting on the boat with everybody. Um, so the last question is, uh, is one of kind of looking forward. Um, you know, it's going to be a while before we emerge uh, out of kind of you know, this, the the COVID time, um, you know, we're, we're, we're months still into this thing. Um, How do you imagine the advancement profession might change uh, permanently from, you know, the things, the obstacles, the challenges that you all have faced, um, you know, on, on your team, in your universities? Um, How, how, what do you, where do you think that this profession is going to Uh, navigate, where they're going to navigate to, um, you know, where it's going to, what are going to be the positives that come out, and what might be the negatives that come out? Oh, we've stumped them, I think. Well,
3: I'll I'll jump in. Just, uh, I actually think about this a lot. I don't know why, but it's, um, it's interesting to me. Uh, I, I referenced it earlier. I think that a lot of what we do, I think there will be this massive pendulum swing back to being in front of people. Um, I, I think people will jump on airplanes. I think there will be lots of travel. I think people are gonna be hungry to get in front of um, prospects and, and have conversations. But I think what we've done, and this has been our, kind of our, our, our theme throughout, is we need to exit this better than we were before. So we need to develop skills that we can use going into the future that will be beneficial to the work that we do. So I think the the, the pluses are: I think we come out of this more creative. Uh, I think we find ways to use different tools along the way that can augment what we do. Yes, um, uh, I'm going to meet with you face to face, but I might bring a Zoom call in, and you'll talk to one of our trustees while we meet face to face or uh, maybe I can um, be in a zoom conversation about something and I'll have the football coach join me. I just think that we' we're, we're finding new ways to bring other people into the conversation, and we're not afraid of technology as much as we used to. Now I say we, the people like me who are of advanced age, um, different than the millennials who do this stuff falling off a log. but um, I think that what I think what we're going to find is we're going to be more, um, uh, diverse in the way that we approach our interactions, because we're going to have more tools at our fingertips. Um, and the only, the, the only negative that just jumps out at me quickly is um, what, what schools, what institutions are we going to lose? Because this environment has crushed them. And um, it makes, you know, every school has its, its purpose and its place. And um, is the reason why somebody becomes a great success and it's just sad to imagine that we're probably going to lose hundreds, maybe dozens or, or maybe hundreds of, of schools through this process so um, but i'm i'm excited about our, our skill set and what we're learning and what we're what we're going to be able to do
1: better. I you know I can't I think well I can't add a lot to what Kelly said, I think it's exactly what I would have said, I think you know, I think we used to look at technology as like, you know, the the, the holy grail that fixed everything. And I think now, you know, to the point about we'll do more in person, I think we'll maybe try to put it in its proper place, you know, because you can get carried away with the bells and whistles, but you cannot replace what we do by Zoom. So we'll think about it as, you know, the, the, the accompaniment that it should be, the, the empowerment, you know, resource and augmentation that it should be. Um, I think th- they will be that. And I think things that maybe, now a lot of institutions are doing things, you know, with analytics, with targeting how they're connecting to people and using technology in that way, but some schools are still shying away from that. I think more and more institutions will look at those things now and think, okay, you know, wait a minute, and now I get, you know, what these things really mean and or can mean to an organization, you know, why investing in them is not a fool's errand or, you know, we'll always be, you know, this will always be about the face-to-face, but, you know, again, this is the rightful role of things like this um, in helping us do our jobs even better. And so I think a lot of places, um, you know, places that I've been, Rice is not really like this. We've always been, I think, and owe it to my predecessor, you know, forward thinking about how we could use certain things, not that we were like on the, you know, front end of everything, but, you know, pretty open-minded, but I think more places will be more open-minded to what's out there, the resources, the tools. I mean, you asked us what tools we're using with our team, but certainly we have used more things, you know, we just, we just had our, um, virtual homecoming, the platforms that we use for that, the tools that we use for that, the, you know, doing things with augmented reality and, um, you know, stuff to engage people and try to make a sense of connectedness and community. Those are things that would have been harder to get people to to think were necessary before. And I, I think people are just have a more, um, you know, a better perspective on You know what they can do and why. What they should invest in the things that you know really can replace people, if you think that's what you should do, or the things that just make your people you know that much more effective uh, in the work that they do. So, so I guess bottom line is I think we will just appreciate the or what what we do that is organic even more and try to you know elevate that um, as opposed to maybe supplant it with with technology. So that's what I think is gonna change.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks again for all of uh, your answers today. Um, We're kind of coming to the end of our time um, uh, that we had allotted. We appreciate so much that you uh, have spent your time with us. We thank you uh, for sharing your wisdom today Um, And we really hope that our uh, audience uh, enjoyed our conversation with uh, Kathy and Kelly. Uh, Thanks to Greg for being a great partner.
2: very kind. Can I just add one thing before you wrap up completely? Thank yeah. you. Personally, I just want to say uh, thank you to both uh, Kelly and Kathy for doing this. And Kathy, on some future podcast, you're going to have to tell us the story of your evolution from cell and molecular biologist to advancement <laughs> leader. It must be a fascinating story that I would love to hear. So anyway, that's a, that's a, for another time. I
1: thought you were going to say I have to tell you how I have a Duke degree and I'm a huge UNC.
2: <laughs> that's, a, that's probably two podcasts. That um, is
1: two podcasts. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, thank you guys so much today. Um, you'll be able to find this podcast in our other podcast, Navigating Advancement Career Post-COVID, uh, at our Whit uh, webpage at whitkiefer.com or on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you might listen to your podcast. Uh, thanks again so much for today. Uh, we wish you the best and we hope that you all stay safe. Thank you. Bye.
3: Thanks we'll to both. About.
1: Really appreciate it. Great talking with you. Thanks, and, and Kelly, thank you. Thanks. Good to be with you, Kathy.
4: Thank you for tuning in. We invite you to visit wikiefer.com to learn more about our expertise and leadership and view our open searches. You can follow Wikiefer on our socials LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Wikiefer. Wikiefer Wick makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Reliance on the information provided in this podcast is undertaken at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Third-party materials or the contents of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards or policies of WIKIVER. WIKIVER assumes no responsibility or liability For the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast, or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and/or links referenced herein. But Keeper makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. But Kiefer expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast.